Take your Bibles. We're looking at Exodus today, chapter 9. Thank you, Ms. Carolyn. Exodus chapter 9. I just read this week in the Jerusalem Post that ranchers are concerned about diseased cattle coming into our country uh, because of various cattle diseases. And that's what we're talking about today. The fifth plague is, of course, the disease upon the cattle of Egypt. <clears throat> I heard about a priest that went to the racetracks on a regular basis and about a, a, a Christian fellow that was going there and betting on horses and followed the priest because he noticed the priest was going in the back where the horses were. And so he wondered what was going on. And he went down there and watched him a few times and it looked like he was uh, blessing the horses. And so he uh, <clears throat> finally noticed that a couple of horses he did something over, you know, that they won. And so he followed him more carefully. And then he watched him by one horse making these hand signs and he said, I'm going to bet on that horse. And he went and bet a good amount of money on the horse. And the horse ran about 100 yards and dropped dead. And he thought, oh, what in the world? So he had the courage to confront the priest and say, what in the world? I finally bet on one of the horses you blessed, and it died. He said, that was last right, sir. <laughs> you Protestants get last rites and blessings confused, and I'm certain we do. Joshua and Jesus both tell us, of course, Jesus um, is quoted by Mark. So Mark and Joshua, the books, tell us Moses wrote this. We know that. Uh, and he's writing about holy cows here in this section. Hather was a cow, a cow head on a woman's body and was the goddess of beauty. Apis was the sacred fertility bull. They also worshipped him, and they believed this cow, or this bull, had a soul by the name of Orsus inside uh, guiding this sacred bull. Quite interesting um, that they would worship these things, but we mentioned they worshipped 1,400 different gods. And so God is going to refute these gods, which are really demons, obviously, some sort of evil, possessed uh, cows, now cows weren't possessed necessarily, but uh, pigs were at times. We know that can happen, but my point is that these were just uh, the devil's, uh, uh, you know, false gods that he used to lead these people astray. And we know that God is going to humiliate them and prove that there is one true God. And so he's going to have a plague come in and affect all these animals which would again humiliate their gods. We noticed in the first three plagues, we see Aaron's rod. In the next three plagues, we don't see a rod. In the last three, we see Moses. We're going to look at chapter 9 and verse 1. <clears throat> and we'll read just a few verses. Stand, if you will. Chapter 9, verses 1 and following. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field. Mark that in your Bibles. Upon the horses and the asses and upon the camels and the oxen and upon the sheep, there shall be a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there should be nothing die that is an all in the children of Israel. <clears throat> and the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. 
that we'll glean what you have here for us, handfuls on purpose that you've given us in your word. And that we'll learn a little about you and your word and about ourselves and how we see in ourselves our needs, our shortcomings, and our blessings. Bless, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thus saith the Lord. And we know that it goes on to call him the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Let my people go and worship, is what he says. Interesting, God calls the Jews my people. They were his chosen generation, his chosen nation. And they were chosen collectively. We're chosen individually. But they were God's people. I read this last week about one of our leaders going over to Israel to encourage them to choose a two-state solution, Palestine, Israel. And you know I always harp on this. It really bothers me because God gave Israel the land. And Jerusalem is the city of David, but the, Mount, the, Mount, uh, the Temple Mount today has a mosque there, and it's guarded by Jordanians. And very sad to see this, but one day, of course, there'll be a temple constructed. It'll have to be ready by the middle of the tribulation period for the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist goes in there and offers a pig on the altar to just defile the temple and to embarrass God. And so that's going to happen. But here are again the Egyptians worshiping other gods and goddesses. And of course not allowing Israel to worship the true God. And you know it angered God that Israel couldn't worship him and they were supposed to worship these Egyptian gods. And so God is tired of it, and he's tired of Israel being in slavery. They cried out to him for deliverance, and he's now going to deliver them. Egypt's the type of the world. The book of Exodus means a way out. And uh, here they're holding Israel as slaves to serve them. And God wants them to be free and to be separate from Egypt. And God wants us to be free from the world and free from our sin as well. And thank God he offers us a way out through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 3, behold the hand of the Lord. The hand is used over 200 times in your Bible to speak of God's power. That's what it means. God was a spirit, didn't have hands. But this is a metaphor for his strength, his power. It's translated in your Old Testament so many ways. And on the screen in chapter 49 of, of Psalms, it's too small for me to read, but it, it translates it there, uh, power. In uh, Second Chronicles, it's translated dominion. That's on the screen as well. I, I know that uh, the New Testament tells us that sin and, and death have no more dominion over me, no more power over me. Revelation 1.6 tells us to him be the dominion forever and ever. God's power will one day rule and reign. Amen. A guy by the name of Lawrence Richards, he and F.C. Cook were Warren Wiersbe's favorite commentators, along with Walvert and Zuck and other scholars, think this was anthrax, the, the disease, the uh, animal uh, plague, anthrax, and anthrax is how it's said, a lethal thing that animals would have. And uh, back in history in the 1800s, three times a disease uh, wiped out the cattle, the animals of Egypt. So this is something that has happened, and here it happens by the hand of God. <clears throat> and we know Egypt has suffered that same thing quite often. Now he calls it here in verse 3, moraine. You look down to verse 15, he translates that same Hebrew word in verse 15, pestilence. Some living organism that would get on these animals and it would kill them. And we notice here uh, that in verse 3, 
that it says here, uh, the hand of the Lord is on the cattle which is in the field. Uh, they're, they're, they're cattle that would be exposed to the disease and the disease would affect them. And we know that it specifies those that were in the field. Quite often we see Israel chastened by pestilence, don't we? Over throughout their history, read Obadiah and read the different minor prophets and you read about the canker worm and the locust and different uh, little critters that, that wiped out Israel. We've studied some of them in our plagues and lice and flies. I thought, what if Noah had just swatted those two flies? Uh, we wouldn't have all those flies today. But the, the, these little critters can cause great harm and we know with the flea, the bubonic plague we've talked about. But here, these livestock in the field would be affected. Some believe the Egyptians who had faith in the Lord would maybe bring their cattle indoors. We know a lot of Egyptians knew the Lord. Today, I believe uh, 9.6, almost 10% of Egypt professes to be Christian, and they're really sold out Christian people. 90% are Sunni Muslims, 90, almost 91%, and 0.1% worship some other thing. I don't know what's happened to these 1,400 gods, but they don't believe in them anymore. And obviously, they shouldn't have believed in them then. But here, uh, these, this disease affected all their livestock. Livestock really spoke of wealth in that day and age. Remember, Abraham was considered a wealthy man because he had a lot of animals. And a lot of these animals spoke of different things. The bull in, in, in the Bible often represents the enemies of God. They're typified as a bull. But notice this plague would affect, according to verse 3, all these different animals. Quite a few are named here. Some of these are labor animals, so it's going to affect their crops and, and planting and plowing. And some of these are transportation animals. Your camels and your donkeys, you don't have your transportation mode because they're affected. And, of course, the worship. Humiliating because they worship gods. And here are their, their, their animals these gods, these bulls and these cows, and now these bulls and cows and their animals, things they worship, are now sick with this plague. But notice in verse 4, And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. Israel's cattle are spared. Their animals don't get the disease. That word's translated so many ways, that word severed, difference, and, and it's translated separated. In Psalm 4, 3 on the screen, it's translated set apart. You know, when we're saved, God sets us apart. He sanctifies us. A process that began when we were saved, and in my life when I was saved, and it continues on. God setting me apart, sanctifying me. God wants us to live holy lives. And uh, I know a lot of Christians trust God and they sort of act like it's a, an ins a life insurance policy that they're just being saved or trusting God so they can go to heaven and, and they don't live any different in this world. Well, let me say this to you. The word Christian means Christ-like. Don't use the title if you don't try to follow him and live for him because you're not like him. You're like the world. And we're not to love the world or the things of the world. And to be separated, to be different, to be sanctified, to be set apart, so many different terms there, doesn't mean to be an oddball. You know, I, I think of my pastor, and I referenced him before, Lansing, Michigan would honor a citizen of the year once in a while. Uh, well, every year they'd honor him, and, and once in a while they'd pick someone in the community that was in ministry or something. 
And the only one I ever remember them choosing was twice they chose my pastor as a capital city, citizen of the year of the state of Michigan. And my pastor was as sharp as you'd ever want to be. I mean, he always looked good, always was friendly, always respectful and kind. Uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, do anything really uh, supernatural or anything. He was just a humble, kind man. What he did in the hospitals in Lansing really brought the attention to his ministry, caring for people in the hospital. What a great man of God. You don't have to be odd to be a Christian. You're different, but you don't have to be odd or weird, you know. And I love, I love the opportunity we have as Christians to be difference makers in our world. We are different. Let's make a difference. People are looking for answers. People are sad. The world's very sad. J. Vernon McGee, ever hear him? He says that 12 miles from the period, the period, Pyramids, pyramids. There are hundreds of mummies of bulls. There's a uh, second largest temple in Memphis, Egypt, was built to worship the black bull. We mentioned Apis. They have all these mummies, hundreds of them. When a bull would be born, they would, the old bull wouldn't be the one they worshipped anymore. They'd worship the new bull. And when the old bull died, they'd make a mummy out of it. So there's all these mummies. I mean, it's amazing the waste of time and money and, and, and so forth, things that, that Egypt did. Uh, and so they'd have one God after another and mummify the old ones. What a waste of labor and time and money. I think of Nassau today. I, I, I loved going to the moon that we went there. I didn't go, but I love that we went, and it's so awesome. And to, to see some of the things they do, we're thankful for the satellites and possibly military hardware. But, you know, think of all the money that Nassau wastes trying to find life on other planets. Now they want to build a civilization, so they're getting dirt samples. The Bible said God made the earth for mankind. Yeah. This is the place with the gravitational pull, the oxygen, the ozone layer. And everything's just right for us to enjoy life here. But we waste money. The Bible said we may waste money for things that don't feed people. You know, people are hungry and we're wasting money. Anyway, in verse 5, notice this. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. You know, there are several appointments that you will keep. Uh, a set time when the cattle would die, where this disease would come. You know, you'll keep several appointments in your life. Hebrews 9.27 says, you have an appointment with death. You can't get around that. A while back, someone said to me, well, I don't take care of myself. I eat all I want because, you know, it's not going to change the date of my death, but it'll certainly change the quality of your life. You know, think of that. We try to live right so we can enjoy this life. And by the way, self-control does matter to God. Gorging ourselves. I, I always, you know, I go to these restaurants and I'm always excited if I go to a restaurant, it's all you can eat. You know, you get a plate and then you get some desserts and you come back and you start thinking. The Holy Spirit says, you know, you've had enough. Oh, but I've paid for all this food in here. And I battle with that. We all battle with that. But, you know, uh, we have an appointment with death. But we ought to take care of our bodies and live right. 
Did you know you have a, an appointment with a beam of seed if you're a believer? It's appointed on once once to die and then the judgment for the believer. It's the bema seat that we'll gather around and we'll find out if those crowns, if we had the right motive. And if we did, we'll receive a crown. But if our motive was wrong, we'll lose rewards. And every believer is going to be there. It's another appointment for every lost person. If you're here today and you don't know God, you will be at the great white throne judgment. The Bible said everyone buried in the sea, in the ground, everyone will be raised, every sinner, to stand before God and the books will be opened. I believe these 66 will be here. There's other books referred to in the Bible, the book of life, Lamb's book of life, book of works, other books mentioned. I don't know about all that. I've studied it, still don't know about all that. But the books will be open and we'll all be judged. If, we're not, if we don't know the Lord, we'll be judged there. And the judge is not going to be the Father. He, he, he lets the, the advocate, which means lawyer, he moves his way up and becomes the judge. God says, I'll give all judgment to the Son. The very one that in your life you were encouraged to believe in will be the very one who judges you. And the very book you may have ignored will be the book that will be involved in your judgment. Isn't that something? The great white throne. In a verse that we enjoy, but it can also be a scary verse, is Philippians 2.10, which says, every knee will bow and confess that he's Lord. Wouldn't it be better for you to get on your knees now and confess him as your Lord and Savior? Then at the great white throne judgment to be on your knees begging him not to cast you into the eternal lake of fire? Think about that. If you don't know the Lord, don't leave today without knowing him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. He's Lord. I love what someone said years ago. If, if he wasn't Lord, he's either a liar or a lunatic. Anyone who would say they were God's son and wasn't would be a liar, right? Or mentally deranged a lunatic. And Jesus said he was God's son. He said he was Lord. He said he's the Messiah of the Old Testament. So you have to decide in your heart, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he my Lord? It's a tough choice. For me, it was an easy choice. It may be tough for you because you have, may have a lot to give up. I was 12 years old and in my basement next to my bed. And I said, God, I know I'm lost. Will you save me? I was reared in a Christian Reformed church and my dad lost his job. We moved across the state and someone came by and invited us to church and came by and gave us Thanksgiving dinner because we couldn't afford it. My dad was unemployed. Oh, man, we had those nuts you could crack and... Uh, you know, I was nuts about those. And we had all the stuffing and the goodies and the turkey. It was so nice. What a testimony for a church to do that for us. And that brought us to the place of salvation. My parents were Christians, had been Christians for years. But us kids didn't really understand the gospel. And we all started attending First Baptist Church in Okemos. And we trusted Christ and we're all baptized there. And I'm so grateful for that day. I didn't really live for God till I was 19. I was doing the wrong things, hanging around the wrong crowd. And the Lord spoke my heart about being a compromiser. I was actually in 
line uh, going into an establishment. I think I've told my testimony before, and my youth pastor from South Baptist Church came by and drove by and said hi to me. And I felt that big. And that was during the same time several things happened in my life where I hurt my leg and, and trashed my, crashed my car and broke up with my girlfriend and made an error in a fast pitch softball game. And all those things that were happening in my life brought me to the place where I said, I'm going to live for God. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been a coward and a compromiser. Began to live for God. But I'm so glad of that day in my bedroom. Got on my knees and trusted Jesus. Every knee will bow. I bow for my prayer time oftentimes. And uh, I've, times I've fallen asleep at my prayer time at my bed. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's okay. We do that sometimes. But it's important that we realize He is God. And we are nothing but by His grace. And when I bow before him, I realize he's the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful God of this world, the one and only true God. And I bow and I pray to God in Jesus' name. Every knee shall bow. I hope you've bowed before him. Well, notice in verse 6. <clears throat> and the Lord did that thing on the morrow. God always, do you ever notice this? God always does what he says he's going to do. I mean, for my entire life, God's done what he said he's going to do. I mean, <clears throat> thousands of years, God's always said something. He's followed up and done it. You know what God says? One day, Jesus is going to come back. You think he'll keep his word? Absolutely. Peter, excuse me, Paul and John wished for it. I'm sure Peter did as well. Way back then, they looked for his coming. Do you look for his coming? It means to live your life as though he's coming today. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. Think of that. But the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Unbelievable. Now Pharaoh, verse 7, he sent someone to go over to Israel to see if their cattle died, and, and they didn't. He said, go and see if the cattle died, and, and they didn't die. What did Pharaoh do? You think he thought, well, this, this truly is the true God. <clears throat> I've been wrong. It's so obvious. Our cattle die. Everything in the field dies. And over in Israel, their cattle are all okay. So I, I need to bow to this God and realize he's the one true God. You would think that he would do that. What is he thinking? He hardens his heart and says no again. Of course, God said he would do that. Here he does it again. What is he thinking? He's resisting God and worshiping critters. And I don't know if he thought he was a god, but the pharaohs were gods to the Egyptians. I think at his heart he knew he wasn't anything but a man. He sees this going on, but his pride says, don't give in to these Jews and their God. And it's your pride that makes you say, I don't need God. I'm not going to change. I'm going to do what I want to do. And folks, that kind of attitude angers God. He hates rebellion. He hates stubbornness. He says he hates it as much as witchcraft. 
You know, your stubborn heart that won't give in to him when the spirit of God speaks to you. I remember when I was, God was starting to work on my heart. And I, I hear a lot of people talk about the call of God on their life. And mine wasn't a one-time emotional thing. It was constant prodding. <laughs> I'm on the steps coming up into my dorm. I'd torn my leg up and I was coming to Bible college just really to play basketball and find a good wife or something, you know. And a guy said, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, don't say that. <laughs> I admired, adored my pastor, but I knew I couldn't measure up to my pastor and his brilliance and what he did. And, and I knew my, my, my struggles uh, throughout grammar school and all the way through. And, and I didn't make good grades to finally at junior college, you know, up in Lansing Community College, I made good grades, but I knew I wasn't on the same level as these great men and I never would be. I knew that and I'm right, but I resented even, you know, people acting as though I'm gonna be a pastor. My mom always prayed and read her daily bread. And I'd come home, Mom, what are you crying about? She'd sit in the chair and she had tears in her eyes as she's crying and praying for me, you know? And she wanted her kids to serve the Lord and all of her kids did. Not full time necessarily. My sister's a missionary now to Moldova, was in Russia. But my mom's prayer, you know, that we would be something for God. Every time she went to church, she cried. My dad would, would nudge me and look at your mother, and she, her nose would be red. She loved the Word. Loved the Word. Loved to hear my pastor preach. Loved the Word of God and wanted the best for us. And I didn't want to be a preacher. You know, it's like that joke I told you. That mother that's yelling at her son, get up, go to church, you got to get there. No, I don't want to go. You need to go to church this morning, get up. Why do I have to go? Because you're the pastor and they expect a message today. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do that. Now I absolutely love preaching God's word. It's the thrill of my life. And any God called preacher will tell you the same joy is in there. I don't want to resist God. And you say, how dumb of Pharaoh. Well, how dumb of us when we risk, resist God in any, any fashion in our life. Any way we, any, anything we do to resist God is just total foolishness. I love Romans 6, 17. It says, but God, be thankful. But, but God, be thankful that ye were servants of sin, but now you're delivered. Why do we choose then to keep sinning? Because we want to. We're free from sin. We don't have to do it. I saw a shirt years ago, the devil made me do it. That's a big lie. The devil doesn't make Christians do anything. Christians have the sin of the flesh and they do it because they enjoy it. In fact, just yesterday I got a podcast of my pastor preaching and he said, he said he, he got saved and the Lord convicted him to quit smoking his pipe. And he said, I threw the pipe away, but I threw it where I could reach it if I needed it. <laughs> he said, years later, I threw it away for good. But, you know, we want to satisfy ourselves and we're called to live for him. We are bought with a price. Look at chapter one of Romans and we'll close here in this chapter. People who worship all these other things, it's, it's amazing to me. Sharon McLean has her stone, her amulet, and that's her God. 
you know. I'm not picking on Shirley MacLaine. The world's full of people worshiping things other than God. And whether it's 1,400 critters the Egyptians worshiped, or Baal and Asherah, the God of the Canaanites, whatever God it is, there's only one true God, and people still worship. This is amazing to me. Romans 1, 22, professing themselves to be wise, that's the word sophos, the word sophisticated. Oh, are these people something? They became fools. And don't call lost people morons, but this is the Greek word which we can translate to morons. And people who think they're so smart, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, the psalmist said. And look at this. And change the glory of God, or the incorrupt, uncorruptible God, into an image like to corruptible man and to birds and forfeited beasts and creeping things. They change God to some critter they can worship. Oh, the foolishness of man. And verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And look what it says. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. Who is that dumb to worship a critter rather than the creator? He made those things. And oh, did he do a great job. I marvel at the things God made. And I have a little book, Uncle Bob's Animal Stories. It's about God's design and all the critters. And I can read that and always enjoy that book. The little hummingbird that weighs, you know, just a nickel. And the way God made it. And you have to read that on your own. I don't have time to give you a lesson here on the, the little critters, but so many things Uncle Bob points out. And now there's so many more people that point the design of God in, in creation. Just unbelievable. I mentioned to somebody that the mouse is born in two weeks and the rat in three weeks and you're 39 weeks and everything is in perfect order and design. Think of that. The waves hit the beach 18 to a minute in a calm or a storm. Why do we not worship the creator? The one who can see everything we've done and everything we do and still says, I'll forgive you. I sent my son to die for you. And if you put your faith in me, through Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Amen. There's only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. And that's Jesus. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not your ancestors. It's not the tadpole. It's not the scarab beetle or the holy cow. It's him. Let's pray. Today, maybe you're here and you don't know God. I pray today for you to come and be saved. I know we had a family interested in church membership. Our doors are open this morning as they are every Sunday. But if, if you want to come, you're welcome to come. But if you're here today and you're not a believer, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you. Just come. The simple gospel Jesus saves is for you this morning. And if you need to come and pray about something in your life, I know Lloyd and Sue 
are back at a funeral this week as well. It's actually today, and I know others are struggling right now with health issues, and folks are sick. But maybe you have a personal struggle that we don't know about, and you just want to ask God to help you with that. You're welcome to come, and we'll pray with you. We ask you to bless. Lord, we need you. We need you every moment and every hour. Help the words of, of your word to keep us all week long reminded of who you are and what you've done. Thank you for being awesome. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.